Hey, hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. So, point of order. <laughs> yep. Uh, I was wrong about Jim will fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, many people leapt up to correct me. So, J- the phrase Jim will fix it predated the show Jim will fix it. And so, the show took the Jim will fix it from the phrase. But now I just want to know where the phrase Jim will fix it came from. Yeah. So, please, people who told us that Jim will fix it started. What year was this? episode this story 1971 yeah and the the tv show didn't start until 1975 according to many many people on twitter uh so so yeah smarties tell us uh tell us what the heck that phrase is and why it was uh a common phrase i think it comes from king james the second actually you have that look on your face that says you are completely making stuff up. If I could have mm-hmm. named a British prime minister who was also named James that came along long before Clement Attlee, then I would have used that name instead, but I could not. Well, that's fine. <clears throat> you don't have to make things up all the time. <laughs> Especially when it comes to Doctor Who. Uh, episode three of Colony in Space we have just watched. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep, it's it's still good. Yay! Even with all the uh, sneaking around and gunfights and everything like that? I mean, I would say it's definitely uh, an unsurprising episode three. Like, I don't even want to say lull or lag or anything like that. But there's, you know, there's a little bit more running around, a little bit more padding going on. But that's just something that you kind of expect in a uh, in a classic Doctor Who story and in, you know, something that's a six-parter. You, you got to have your your escapes and your captures and your escapes and your recaptures and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. It is a Malcolm Hulk story after all. He seems to like that. Yeah, and I like I have no problem with it as long as as long as it's still interesting. Like I, you know, we we know from Joe's very first story that she has some ability to escape from handcuffs and that sort of thing. She took a a course in escapology once once apparently um yeah so it was it was fun seeing her get to get to do her thing and and escape i mean in this case it was just she happened to have small enough hands that a little bit of grease um would be able to get her out of that but still like that that worked that was cool yeah Mm -hmm. i remarked that your wrists uh, would not be contained by such a a contraption no my my thumbs are like my thumb joints are double jointed so i can fold my thumb in Uh, to the middle of my hand and yeah basically my entire hand becomes not all that much wider than my my wrist so now anybody that wants to uh to take me captive is gonna have to like they're they're gonna know my secrets that's true i um off topic i can grab both your wrists with (laughs) one hand as i'm gonna prove right now and just about touch my fingers if, I wasn't if you weren't the, the Fitbit, I probably could do it. But yeah, so that's how. So I uh, I look forward to one day being uh, perhaps locked up <laughs> in a similar device. Mm-hmm. And then like you're thinking, oh, no, don't lock me up. And then like literally as he walks out the door, out you go and mm-hmm. and we're home free. Yeah. Well, then I'd have to go find a rock to uh, to smash open the um, the chains yeah. for on, on your bindings. Yes. As mm-hmm. Joe did with Winton. Mm-hmm. Heroic Winton. I like Winton in this. He's a he's a headstrong young fellow, but you can kind of believe why he's doing the things he does. And you know, after he gets uh, uh, you know taken prisoner and chained up and chased and shot after and everything else and shot at, they actually shoot him. Uh, that's when he says, "Okay, that's it. We're done doing your things your way, Ash. We are attacking the IMC spaceship." And I, I feel I felt that was justified. Yeah, I mean, he had very good reason for 
for what he did. And I thought Joe was heroic for like being like, no, I'm not going to leave you behind. It might have actually been the smarter thing to do would be to just get up and go. Um, but she doesn't. And she manages to free him. Like it would have, it, it totally would have worked for her to just take off. And that would have been a very different kind of story. We would have ended up at a different place. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. And I do like Winton. I think, I think all the performances in the story are just con- like continuing to be very good. Oh, I forgot to mention at the very end, of the last episode and the beginning of this one where we see the, the robot Charlie with those giant like claw gloves on. That's yeah. the most ridiculous thing. That was that was delightful in its ridiculousness because it was just like, okay, sure. Like if in order to make the claw marks, you really only need like the, the pointy tip of each finger. You don't right. need to model like make actual hands. <laughs> look like that it's just so silly i love it imc spares no expense in their subterfuge Mm -hmm. apparently not yeah Mm -hmm. i really like captain dent i like morris perry's performance in him i like how low key he is and above all how actually honest he is you know, like he's, uh, I just, I love the way he just sort of nonchalantly like checking his nails and then the alarm goes off. He sort of looks behind him, you know, check your uh, guard, check your prisoner. And then, you know, just a low key way he sort of says, you know, you've just committed professional suicide to Caldwell. And then when the doctor bursts in after Winton and, and crew have taken over the, the spaceship, uh, he, you know, he says, I can't raise her doctor. Your guard is not attentive. And then like, yeah, he's, a, we've seen what happens. He's a hundred percent speaking the truth. I like him. Yeah, I do too. His his very very just dry, low key like attitude is consistent and in a very in a very good way. I agree. Yeah, I I, I like that villain. This person with a weird. It's a, actually now that I'm watching this story uh, more closely, thanks to you being here watching it for the first time, I notice that it's like a IMC policy to have one's hair slightly. Yep weirder but like combed to a point in the middle Mm -hmm. the bangs are combed at like caldwell is doesn't have as much hair but you could tell it is i i I noticed it with pat gorman's wig on Mm -hmm. we saw pat gorman on three separate occasions in this episode i assume playing the same person and his hair was somewhat Mm -hmm. similar to uh captain dent's yeah and it's not even quite a point it's it's almost more of like a u shape but yeah. like like a dart down the the middle of the forehead and yeah i noticed that too so it's you know it may not be an imc thing it that just might be <laughs> that just might be the style of the time and the colonists don't know it because they have been on this planet for a whole year so you know that just that could be the height of fashion or the height of you know semi-military regime fashion who knows that could be it but yeah, they are. Uh, we're watching a kitty cam on the other on the other TV here in the room. Just just in case you're wondering why we might be distracted at some point. Um, what else about this episode? Anything else that um, that uh, caught your fancy or mm-hmm. caught your interest? I like that the doctor finally said keep an eye on Norton because you know it was clear that the doctor knew from a while back that something weird was going on and then the fact that Norton was trying to fix the uh, the electricity and making it worse. You know, he could have said something right away, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then, you know, Norton sneaking off to warn the warn Captain Dent that Joe and Winton were going to be sneaking in in the first place. Like what a what a bad guy. Norton? Mhm. Yeah, Norton is played by Roy Skelton, who, of course, would later go on to be voice of the Daleks. So, of course, how could you trust uh, him? Never trust a voice of the Daleks. Sorry, Nick Briggs. That's right. Um, is that it? 
Anything else about this episode? I enjoy it. I'm enjoying the story a great deal. Yeah, I'm still really liking it. There's, I mean, there's a little less to say about this one because it was, like you said, it was kind of, there was a decent amount of toing and froing and stuff, but I liked, I still liked watching it. Oh, and it was, it was a, that was a pretty good cliffhanger at the end too. Um, oh, really? Joe going into a dark room and then standing there for several seconds and then the sting coming in? Yeah. I thought, because, you know, she looked really scared going up toward the you know the side of the hill just mm-hmm. opens up into a doorway and like she's looking around like i wondered if she was actually going to try to make a break for it right um, so that was a nice performance on katie manning's part because she's she doesn't want to go in a hole in the wall uh-huh. and uh and yeah and then they they march her in and they have you know and she stops while they're waiting for them to, to close the door and you know so i didn't have any problem with her you know it's clear she's as an actress is finding her light and you know making sure that they can get the the close-up on her face uh with the with the spotlight on it but in you know the the watsonian view is that it takes a while to close this door so like (laughs) nobody moves until you get the door closed and then they will move on but we during that time we get to watch joe be scared because also just I always find it really effective when you have the sound of the closing door, whether it's like a prison door closing behind you and you hear yeah. the clunk of the lock or, you know, even just a, a regular door and you hear the the, the sound of a, a key in, in the lock or in this case, a giant big slab of rock closing is, you know, it's a, it's a very final sound for the end of an episode. That's true. The doors close. Uh, speaking of Joe, credit to the um, actor who played security guard Alan. Mm-hmm who had to fire a gun with his right hand while holding a squirming and kicking Katie Manning in his left, picked her up Mm -hmm. and was holding her like a bag of groceries Uh while she's kicking and screaming. And he's fine. I mean, that was a pretty impressive physical performance. Yeah, he did. He did a good job. I mean, Katie Manning probably weighs like 95 pounds soaking wet, but still like that's she was she was totally giving it her all in terms of the kicking and screaming. I think that was a that was a really well performed scene on both of their parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I was pretty impressed by that. Uh, What else is I going to say? Oh, two things. You see how on the on the menu screen what uh, episodes one and two are what blue. And then now episode three and four are what, what would you call that color? Um, it is sort of like a purple and green. Three, uh, four, five, and six are all are, are purple and green. Yeah, I, I should have watched more closely. I'm I'm imagining that the uh, credits for episodes one and two came in a little earlier mm-hmm. when they were shooting the um, opening and title sequences because they would shoot them basically live towards the end of the recording block mm-hmm. for each of those two episodes. So episodes mm-hmm. one and two, because they were making two episodes of Doctor Who every fortnight at this point, basically shooting one and two. So... I think I've said this before about John Pertwee stories about how they often would structure the writing of them to include sets that you would use predominantly in those two episodes. And then if you wanted to, you know, branch out and build more sets, try to contain them to episodes three and four and four and five and six so that they would be within the same block. And so you wouldn't have to worry about studio space. So, and so at some point during the, uh, later production block, I thought let's bring in the episode caption a little later than we did in the previous one. You know, I always kind of wondered why, looking at the the menu screen um, to choose the episode, mm-hmm. why they were sometimes different, and that makes perfect sense. Yep. Yeah, the John Pertwee uh, era was a little less uh, formalized, I think, when it came to when the episode titles came in still. Uh, that would uh, not be sorted out until later. But <laughs> we'll, we'll have all that to look forward to, <laughs> watching when the episode titles come in. I know, isn't it exciting? 
Oh boy. I can't wait. I can't wait. One more thing I want to say. I was reading up uh, today on uh, various stories from episode, uh, series eight, rather, the Peter Capaldi's first season. And Frank Skinner, when he was, he's a big Doctor Who fan, is Frank Skinner. Mm -hmm. And when he, he, of course, was in Mummy on the Orient Express. And when he was uh, in his trailer during production or wherever he was staying through the week and a half or two weeks that he was making that, he watched two entire classic Who stories during his time off, basically, while making Doctor Who. One is the War Games, and the other, Colony in Space. I like this Frank Skinner guy. Not only did he have a great performance, but he has excellent taste in classic Doctor Who because also wasn't uh, when he found out that he had gotten cast in Doctor Who yeah. was he not watching like episode two of the Sensorites or something episode three good good job yeah so close yeah so like I feel like we are we are soulmates in terms of classic Doctor Who either that or he just watches everything and he happens to have watched three stories that I really like um, <laughs> during momentous uh, occasions in, in his Doctor Who life and the full disclosure he mentioned that he listened to Radio Free Scarrow in his Doctor Who magazine interview about him being on Doctor Who. And then on his own radio show, Absolute Radio, he mentioned uh, Verity. So so there is a history, unbeknownst to Frank Skinner, there is a history between the two of us <laughs> yep. and Frank Skinner when it comes to Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Yep. So like, I'm not entirely unbiased. I've never actually listened to his radio show and I had no idea who he was, but I kind of love him because he yeah. recommended my podcast. And now that I know that he has excellent taste in classic Doctor Who, I mean, it's it's even better. Yeah. Like he, like he said, oh, I'm going to be on Doctor Who. That's great. What two DVDs should I take with me to go work on Doctor Who? And one of them is Colony in Space. He chose to take Colony in Space. It's not like he's doing his classic Who watch along and I'm going to bring the war games and spearhead from space because they, you know, that'll that's where I'll be in my little run. No, no. He said, I'm going to bring the war games, one of the greatest stories ever, and then also Colony in Space. Why would you bring a bad episode if you're going to make Doctor Who? You bring a good one, Colony in Space. I feel like you need to have him on Radio Free Scarrow and interview him and ask him why. Like, why did he choose those two stories? Because, like, you know, me being the person that I am, I often choose things randomly. So, like, I get out a set of dice or I use Mm random.org to figure out, like, what I'm going to do next or what I'm going to watch next. So, I mean, maybe it was just total randomization. Um, I don't... I doubt that. I'm thinking the war game seems like the, the kind of thing that you would bring on purpose because it's nice and long. You only yeah. need, you know, it's like a desert island sort of thing. Uh-huh. You only need the the one case and you've got a billion hours worth of Doctor Who. Colony in Space sort of makes sense from the same perspective. It's six episodes long, but there's a lot of six episode stories to choose from. So, so yeah. So, you know, was it just like a random thing or did he choose it on purpose because he really liked it? Or was it somehow thematically related to his character and the way that he was getting into character to play? Um, what was the character's name again? Uh, Perkins. Perkins. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. Just like I would, I, I really want to know why those two, like what, what was the actual reason? Did you just pick them because you like them because you're a very smart fellow yeah. or, or some other reason? Malcolm Hulk fan. I mean, judging by the, the trailer that's at the beginning, they're advertising what series six B or ser- be- anyway, before 2014, which is when they made, so it wasn't like, Oh, this just came out. Uh, I'll bring that along too. It had already been out for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So even the recency bias wasn't there. Calling in space, mm-hmm. preferred by Doctor Who's Frank Skinner. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. See, you need to. I don't care if you ask him any other questions. If you can get him on RFS, that's the only thing okay. you need to ask him. Dear Frank Skinner, type, yeah. type, type. Can you please come on our show? We want to ask you about about the DVDs that you watched while you were making Doctor Who. It could be also maybe an indictment on how he stores his DVDs. <laughs> maybe they are just haphazardly, or more amusingly, maybe they are stored for some. But even then, you couldn't. Have have to say, I, you know, well, maybe they're just randomly stored, but by writers. So all of Malcolm Hulk's stories are like in a section, but they aren't sequential because he wrote uh, Silurians and Ambassadors of Death mostly in between um, War Games and this. It this opens up a whole other. It opens up a whole cave into a <laughs> giant city underground, <laughs> as the indigenous population of Ixarius will perhaps show us in the next episode colony in space bringing it right back around siri i just not talking to you <laughs> quiet siri yeah. uh, no i'm just i'm very much enjoying the story and uh i look forward to episode four me too which will be on our next episode of lazy doctor who on the incomparable network goodbye <laughs> goodbye <laughs>